Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you in association with The Athletic. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today as we look back at a slightly dreary but ultimately successful trip down the road to Loftus Road. Joining me today and making his debut on the Fulhamish Podcast, Marco Di Novellis. Hi Jack, thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming. It's Mr Joe Sansom. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hi, Joe. Hi, yeah. And, <laughs> and of course, uh, our, well, our graphics whiz, Mr. Adam Farkas. And Adam, how's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. And I'm glad that we didn't have to watch another 120 minutes of that today, basically. We're recording this, obviously, the day after, and we've all had time to recover from the mind-numbing exercise. AF, before we start our proper section here, do you want to give us some three-word reviews from yesterday? Yeah, for sure. So we've got Londinium calling with super subbing drubbing. Uh, and I'm sure we'll run into this, um, but how many words can we get to rhyme with cheek? We've got David G's Ruben Loftus Bleak. Oh, you're going weak again. We've, we've had a lot of the weak ones before. We've got Tom Rowe. I can definitely relate to this one. I fell asleep. Um, and then we've finally, we've got Pat Heary with Bobby Queen's vaccine. Very, very good. Marco, I'll start with you. Just kind of general thoughts on the game aside from sheer boredom. <laughs> yeah, well, um, Neil Warnock, I think, before the weekend's fixtures, was asked if uh, football should be stopped because of COVID. And he was saying, um, no, football gives fans summit, he said, something to look forward to, something to enjoy. And uh, I was on board with Colin. But um, after that 90 minutes, honestly, one of the least pleasurable experiences I've had for the past 12 months, uh, we were just poor, toothless going forward. We'll get on to, you know, Loftus-Cheek and Mitrovic, both pretty poor. Um, but I think what made it worse was just the pointless spectacle of an FA Cup game with no fans. And QPR not only had those ridiculous um, cardboard cutout fans in the stands, um, but also Alan Pardew in a sort of Gucci scarf, baseball cap, sheepskin coat combo, uh, looking a bit like a retirement home Justin Bieber. And then the whole game was just, there was this irritating man on the uh, sidelines. I don't know if he was a Fulham coach or a QPR coach, but his voice was just a little bit more shrill than everyone else. And he was just constantly shouting at nothing, you know, defenders just passing it around and he was shouting at them. And that got to me a lot. So, you know, five minutes to go, I know a few, a few guys said the same. I was happy for either team to just end it, to be honest. But then extra time was completely different. Um I think Anthony Robinson and uh, Deckard's overread just changed the game. Um, first goal uh, was, you know, both of them involved and great quality finish from Deckard over. And then the Cabano goal, um, I think his celebration was like the moment of the game. Um, it was sort of strange, like jig, um, a little bit like you've just got on the strip on your first night in Benidorm combined with one of those strange child beauty pageants in the US. It was a strange dance. I know Adam's making a TikTok video, but um, he looked happy. Um, and yeah, I think the main lesson of the game, um, I'll shut up in a minute, but um, I think it's just we've got two different teams at the moment. And one is Premier League quality just about, and the other one is so much 
less than that and subpar group of players who are just nowhere near the first team. And um, ultimately, there are just a few key players that we can really rely on at the moment for attacking impetus. And you know, as well as that, uh, Lookman and Guisa, who didn't feature, those are Reed and Robinson. And uh, yeah, without them, we struggle. I was going to bring this on to to you, Joe, with with that almost exact point in that without Angisa in the middle, without Lookman's spark, without you know Anthony Robinson bombing down the right hand side, Fulham look a very different team, don't they? That that you know we haven't been particularly free scoring in the Premier League, but the lack of kind of creation yesterday w- was keenly felt by their absence. Yeah, definitely. I think that one of my main takeouts from the game was just as a large chunk of the team that was playing was our team last season in the championship. And it just reminded me how slow we were and tepid going forward for most of the season. And especially the defence, actually, in just terms of passing it around from the back, Reem and Hector, who obviously came on in the second half, the difference between them and Anderson and Adrabayo, I think, is staggering in terms of the way that they can sort of break through the lines and start our play from the back. I just feel like it was a step back to last year. And um, obviously that is going to be the case. This is our second 11 now, and it shows that we have quite good depth. But um, it was quite frustrating to watch. Um, I think it is important to remember that this was our second strength team because um, I saw a few people on Twitter seemed a bit worried that we're going to play Chelsea on Friday, but we're not going to be playing that same 11 on against Chelsea. I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um, and I think the main thing that was just, we did find the breakthrough in the end. The performance doesn't matter too much. We've had a horrible spell with coronavirus cases and postponed games and a lot of time, which may have killed our momentum. But the fact that we've just got through it, we've kept another clean sheet, regardless of who you're against. I mean, Lyndon Dykes, if we were playing a different striker, Lyndon Dykes went through on goal and aimed for the moon by the sounds of it. So um, I'm just really pleased that we managed to get through. We're in the hat for round four and five because they're doing both draws on Monday, which will be fun. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm just pleasantly surprised that we got through the game considering how poor we were for large spells of it and just hoping that we can take this on and continue our good Premier League form now. Yeah, absolutely. AF, it's a, it's a weird one because I don't know about you, but I had sort of mixed feelings about getting through yesterday. Obviously, you always want to beat a QPR. I'm not suggesting here that we, we wanted to lose the game by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, you know, a less congested fixture schedule. And we said this on the preview pod. We didn't think there'd be a, a less hotly contested London derby, maybe ever, because they're having their own relegation scrap at the bottom of the championship and we're having ours at the, at the bottom of the Premier League. And I don't think either side is particularly worried this year about a cup run especially one where there isn't really going to be any fans present you know I think that fans are such a key aspect of why you'd want to have a cup run why you'd want to have those days in the sun maybe at away days and maybe if you if you got far enough obviously at Wembley and that but this season with all of that kind of ruled out the cup does feel a little bit like more of a an inconvenience than than it perhaps normally would yeah I mean I felt the same thing I was watching the match of the day highlights last night and as you went to each of the grounds I was thinking I don't usually care that much about the goals. I usually care about the atmosphere in the stadiums, seeing people hanging out their windows, watching it in non-league grounds. But with none of that, it feels eerily quiet. It feels as though, you know, the games have more of a focus on actually what's going on in football, which seems um, a bit strange. And if you're focusing on the football from our game yesterday, yeah, you wouldn't have been very entertained, would you? It For the first, really, I can't speak to the first 25, I'll be honest. I was having a nap. Um, 
I'm not moving on from that. It was much better than the game. When I woke up and I finished off those 90, I wish I was asleep again. Um, but it, it seemed like for the final 20 minutes as well, um, both teams went, oh, this could actually go to extra time. We need to find a way of avoiding this. And they kind of woke up. Um, but then when it went to extra time, as soon as Fulham scored their goals, there wasn't really much of a fight back from QPR because I think they were probably quite happy with the fact that you, you take it, lads, that's fine. We'll move on. And they'll focus on the league, probably what we wanted to do as well. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a funny one. And I th- I'm sure we won't see too many games like that, especially, you know, the further you get into the cup, the more it becomes a realistic possibility of getting to a point where you're not necessarily thinking about winning it, but you're definitely looking at, you know, if you're in the fourth round, the fifth round, you're suddenly looking at uh, being in a semi-final and that's good for morale all round and, and all of these things. But in the third round, things that still feels a long, long way away, doesn't it, at this point? And and that's perhaps where the, the dichotomy of this lies. Let's talk about the, the extra time a little bit Marco because we were we were much better we were much sharper and yes that's to do with substitutions and that combination of Joe Bryan and and Anthony Robinson on the on the left hand side but also Bobby Reed coming on and what I thought was quite interesting was that the, it was the first time we'd probably seen I thought a kind of more of a 3-5-2 with two central players someone kind of buzzing around off Mitrovic and obviously that's where the goal comes from the the Bobby Reed goal. Yeah absolutely I think I think with Mitrovic, the more you give him the ball, the worse he is. So I can't remember like a goal where he's gone on a solo run and scored. I think he tried it earlier on and just carried the ball out of play. So him getting more involved with that play closer to the goal is obviously what led to to that first goal. And he literally just touched it and rolled it to Bobby Reid. Got involved as little as possible and it all paid off. Um, but... Yeah, bit, bit tongue in cheek there. You know, I know a lot of people are giving Mitrovic a, a bit of stick at the moment for lots of reasons outside just his performances. Um, but you know, he's still, I think, one of the best players at the club. We wouldn't be in the Premier League without him. Um, and he's, you know, good personality uh, usually, and a bit of a cult figure. Uh, and playing to his strengths is a good idea. Having said that, um, you know, would I play him against Chelsea? Um, probably not. Um, but yeah, much improved second half. But again, yeah, with, with those players coming on, uh, I don't think the players who started the game would, would have been able to do that, even with the, the switch in formation. Um, but I was really impressed with uh, a couple of starters as well. I think Ina played really well and sort of staked his claim to, to stay in the team, even though uh, Kenny Tete is back. Um, so it'd be interesting trying to find a place for both of them. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you talk about like a game of two halves, it was sort of a game of uh, a game and then a better game afterwards. We might as well have just played 30 minutes, really. That would have uh, pleased everyone, it being like a nice sort of Netflix show and we could have cracked on with our day. And yeah, by far the, the more entertaining uh, half of the two games. Yeah, I mean, Joe, what are your thoughts on playing two up top in that formation? And, you know, obviously this all kind of revolves around the fact that we'll come on to Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the in the second part of this show because we've got so many questions about him and about what he brings to the team and what, what he offered. And it was another substandard, I would say, performance yesterday. But even if Mitrovic wasn't, wasn't great for large portions of it you can see that when there are players around him when you do get players around him he can be such an asset in in the final third even if that is just holding up play yeah it's a weird one for me because I thought that Bobby Reed and Mitrovic played really really well together and linked up play like we hadn't done for the first 90 in extra time and um I just the thing is for me that I, I think the new formation that we're playing where it's sort of a 
five at the back out of possession and then two in midfield and sort of three up front. And obviously it changes with or without the ball. Um, we're, we're missing that person up front and whether that's going to be Mitrovic or not, I'm not sure that um, we need two strikers up there. I feel like we just need um, one striker at least because at the moment we're just playing Caballero there. So I feel like the, the ideal scenario going forward for me would be um, to have Tete filling in where Bobby Reed's been playing now that he's back in the right wing back position. I thought Tete played there really well yesterday um, and staked his claim for starting. Um, and then further up the pitch, that means we can move Bobby Reed forward, um, in my eyes, ahead of Cavalero, um, and put Mitrovic up front. And, and then that means that going forward, we can sort of have that interchange between them whilst keeping the formation that's been working so well. Because I think the main problem for us in Premier League games, and I think it showed again yesterday, even against championship opposition, is that we're not getting um, players in the right positions when we're going forward. We've got a lot of play in the final third, but we're not really going anywhere with it a lot of the time. We don't really have that striker in the box to look for. And I think that if you get Mitrovic up there, it's a difficult one, but the goals will come. You can just sort of tell that he's itching to score and he had chances yesterday. And I feel that Mitrovic of two years ago gets at least one goal yesterday. And as it stands at the moment, I, I just feel that we have to start Mitrovic or at least have him involved in the games and just get some more attackers around him because the, the system that we're playing at the moment is working defensively, but going forward, we're just not going to score enough. And I think that what we saw yesterday from Bobby Reed and Mitrovic together is something that we can really build on. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, one who, someone else who kind of came back from from the cold, if you will, but more on an injury scale. AF was was Josh Onuman, and how nice was it to see him back in a Fulham shirt and back on the pitch? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe the turnaround that we've had um, from Josh Onuman really since he's joined the club. I I wasn't, to be honest, that excited to see him in the starting lineup, but as soon as I saw him playing, I then started to realise what we were maybe missing from him. His strength on the ball is incredible. And I know we'll come on to the Loftus cheek point, but comparing the two, every time you kind of have a uh, Josh Onama has a touch, I actually believe that he can keep the ball, turn on it, probably create a good pass out of somewhere. Whereas when Ruben tries to actually use his strength, I actually see him lose the ball a lot of the time, which does surprise me. Maybe that's down to a confidence thing. But it is great to see him back in the team. Obviously, he's not in the Premier League squad, so we don't. We're waiting to see when he can actually be included. But it was a breath of fresh air. Obviously, set up the second goal for Cabano as well. But having him around the box as well, um, yeah, I think it's a good option for us in the second half of the season. I think he's going to be a great asset. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people started yesterday, Marco, and, and Onoma, I thought, looked a little bit ring rusty, if I'm honest. I thought he had good moments, especially in the first half, but looked like he tired a little bit, but just good to get minutes in those legs. But equally, Tete, as as Joe mentioned, also Terence Congolo, who, who managed to play the majority of it as well. There was lots going on that, that were just minutes into legs that felt like with the extended break that Fulham have had, you know, and especially for these players who've had no minutes over the course of the first half of the season these are good minutes to get back into those legs yeah I thought Joe Bryan played really well actually um I thought he was a uh, the only sort of forward going threat we had throughout the the first 90 minutes really um and he was involved in, in the Cabano goal um and yeah as I said Aina was good Rodak getting a, 
uh, a few saves in, good backup to Ariola. Um, so it was nice to see, and, and obviously it is. It, it did come across a bit like that, uh, like a fitness gaining game, like a practice game. But it is good for us overall as a squad to to get those players getting minutes on the pitch. I thought it was a little bit sad to see Adoy and Hector out there. They're so obviously not in the picture at all. I think um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's why they were brought on. But um, I think the fact that Parker started with uh, with Reem and Congolo just sort of tells us a bit what his thinking is at the back, his, his sort of ranking of our, our defenders and wouldn't be surprised to see Adore and Hector, um, you know, leaving uh, sometime, um, as sad as that may be for Adore. Hector obviously was, was big for us at certain points last season, um, but they just don't seem like they're, they're going to play a big role. Um, but yeah, real positives are the players coming back from injury um, and uh, great to see Fabry on the bench as well. I thought he did very well. <laughs> I thought he was going to start yesterday. I really did. Uh, I just had a had a hunch that, that Fabry might might get some minutes, but alas, it, it wasn't to be. Michael Hector's a funny one because he came on and he was excellent. I thought Joe um, and and weird. He's been the one that's featured, obviously, when when Jerkim got sent off against Newcastle. It was Hector that that came on to to fill his place. And while he wasn't brilliant that day, you know, and he was he was excellent yesterday. And I, I do still think there might be a place for him at this club. I, I do think that that might be not necessarily Tim Ream's send-off because I think he will be about for the, the second half of the season. But I think that might be the last to see of him. And obviously there was no Maxime Lamarche on the tour. And his his time in the squad, especially with Congolo coming back and, and Onoma now pushing for a place there might well be up. Yeah, I, I quite liked seeing Hector yesterday when he came on. I thought he did okay a few weeks ago when he came on at Newcastle. And that's obviously the first time we've seen him in the league since the sort of infamous opening few games where everyone took, took a step back and thought, oh, maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. But he came on yesterday and he did well. His great long pass um, opened up the second goal, his pass to Joe Bryan, crossfield ball. Um, the only thing for me was the one-time uh, he did get caught out. It led to a chance. And I think that does show um, the big step up in quality we've now got. That was when the ball came straight over his head from the QPR goalie uh, through to Lyndon Dykes, who then missed. Um, but I feel that at the moment we've got, obviously, discarding Ainer at the moment just because he's not a natural centre-back all of the time, more of a utility player. And he was great yesterday. We've sort of got Anderson and um, Adarabayo as our main centre-backs. And then... For backup, now that he's fit, we've probably got Congolo for the left side and Hector for the right. And I, I think you're completely right. I think that leaves Tim Ream probably eventually going elsewhere, which is quite sad to see. Same with all the players from the great seasons we've had recently. And I think the Marchand is one that for sure no longer has a place with us. I think it's um, unrealistic to think that he's going to get a chance if he can't even make the bench in games like yesterday. And for his career, I think that it's probably... Um, his career at Fulham is probably coming to an end. Um, but I'm just a big fan of the depth we've now got in defence, such a problem area for us over the years. And now Anderson aside, they're all permanent signings at centre-back and they're all um, not, not not even getting on a bit. So like we could have some centre-backs for quite a while now. Congolo, I think, looked pretty good considering how long he'd been out for yesterday. I mean, obviously the last time yeah. he played a, a first-team match was for us in... Um, in February of last year. Yeah. In the cup, no? In the cup, yeah. And he made that amazing tackle against um, Manchester City. And he's obviously an FA Cup merchant away from home. But 
it's what I love to see. And I, I really think that we have good depth in defence now. And now the only thing we need to do in this window is make sure we've got good depth in attack as well. Absolutely. Like before we move on to the questions, just a quick one. Any particular preference for anyone in the in the fourth round AF? Um, let's let's try and avoid Chorley. Chorley. Yeah. I, I was saying let's let's get Chorley. I'm sick of this sort of cup romance with Chorley and singing Adele. You know, why aren't they singing Robbie Williams or Oasis or something? Uh, Adele. And uh, if we can just get them at home, beat them five 0 and then put put that whole thing to bed. But we wouldn't say anyone but anyone but Crawley. Never mind, surely. <laughs> um, Joe, anyone in particular? Yeah, I think it's got to be Marine when they beat Tottenham today, one 0 <laughs> Very good. Right after the break, we've got a load of questions focusing mostly on Ruben Loftus Cheek. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with me, Jack Collins, Marco Di Novellis. Hi, Jack. Joe Sansom. Hello. And Adam Farkas. And let's get into some questions, shall we, Adam? Yeah, sounds good. All of these are basically to do with Ruben Loftus-Cheek. <laughs> Steph Bond says what to do with Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Jared Sager, I thought, was, was fair, made a fair kind of defensive point. He said, given the progression we saw Scott work with uh, Josh Onoma, are we being too quick to judge Ruben Loftus-Cheek? Um, but there was there was lots here. I mean, let's start with, with some of the kind of your feelings, Marco, because it was another poor performance yesterday and we're just not seeing the magic that I think a lot of us expected from Ruben when he joined. Yeah I think the only positive I've seen so far is that he's big and not really seen much else. I mean he he was anonymous in the QPR game, had a couple of surging runs but for the most part he just sort of slows things down in possession and his impact on games is just non-existent. I think apart from the Southampton game he's been subbed off in, in every single game he started which tells you a lot. So still trying to work out what he does. I do get that point about giving him time. I've, you know, we can only judge him on what he's done so far, which is nothing. So give him time and he might do something. And, you know, to an extent, I do trust Parker's judgment on players probably more than, than a lot of the managers we've had in the past, um, just on his track record of, you know, what he might do with, with Onoma and um, just how he's put a team together. Um, so Ruben Loftus-Cheek has obviously got talent somewhere um but yeah even if he could play in the next game I wouldn't play in the next game uh, or or soon based on his performances he's just got to start delivering really um and I think we should remember like this was a very poor QPR team who are 20th in the championship who've conceded uh, among the most goals in the league and just won four out of 22 games so if Loftus-Sheet can't do it against them who's he going to do it against in the Premier League yeah Joe how much of this is positional it does feel like he's playing in a weird position and I think this Parker tactical system is is benefiting some players in the likes of Olaina who we've seen kind of benefit from from playing in that kind of hybrid role at right back we've seen Bobby Reid explode into life in that hybrid right wing back role but they're the position he's sort of forcing Ruben Loftus-Cheek into to, to make this system work doesn't seem to be working at all for him and that's not me defending him it just is uh, a strange kind of position that that doesn't seem to to know whether it's wide central midfield forward it's just a bit confused. Yeah it's very strange it does feel like a sort of square peg and round hole situation and that's not good for anyone it's not good for him it's not good for us um, and there has been some 
decent performances by him. I thought he was very good um, in parts against Everton, Leicester and Liverpool. Um, but other than that, we've just not really seen anything. And I was expecting yesterday against championship opposition that haven't been doing very well in the league. I was sort of hoping that he would come into his own a bit. And I was I wanted him to start because I sort of thought this is where we might see him take the game to the opposition and show us what he can do. Again, he wasn't in the best position, which is very true and not ideal. Um, the, the, the problem that I have um, with this is that if we have a player on loan that we can't really get the best out of in terms of um, positions and the formation we're trying to play, then I'm not really sure it's worth having the player at all, especially if we're using up a loan spot um, from a Premier League team, which we only have two of. Um, I feel that we're a striker away from having a real good chance of staying up. And if it was up to me and a striker, a Premier League club that was good enough, became available um, on loan, then I would be sending Loftus-Cheek back to get them in. Um, I, I do feel like there is a really good player there, but we haven't seen it. And the comparisons to Onoma are very true. And Parker obviously sees that player that we did see when he was at Crystal Palace, that we have seen in patches at Chelsea. And obviously he's been injury hampered as well. But at the end of the day, it's not happening at the moment and he's not our permanent player. So even if we do see improvement at the end of the season, it might be too late by then. And even if we do, he's not going to be... He's, he's not... We don't have a position for him, as you've just said. And I, it's a really big conundrum for Parker. and I'm not sure how we're going to deal with it. But if it was up to me, I think that I would say... You're, you're a good player and there's a good player in there somewhere, but it's not working out. And I would personally be looking at other targets because we've got a great opportunity to stay up. And I think we're a striker away from doing it. The thing that, that plays on my mind a little bit, AF, is is that if we were to go to, to, to incorporate Mitrovic into this system, right? If we were to play two up top, where per, a player buzzing around him, then it kind of leaves space for a 10 behind them. It's almost a kind of 3-4-1-2 with the, with the fullbacks bombing on. And if that was to happen, then I think it would incorporate not only Ruben Loftus-Cheek, but also Tom Kearney a little bit more into this side in that they would be able to play a, a position that they're perhaps a little bit more comfortable in whilst getting a player around Mitrovic to get the best out of him. Now, what that does for your pressing and, and all the elements that Parker rates so highly from, from the players he's been seeing, I don't know. But if there is to be, you know, a space here for for Ruben, for, for Tom Kearney, for a players of that ilk, shall we say, it does involve a switch of formation. And right now, with the formation kind of working, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect because we haven't been scoring enough goals, but it's definitely made us more solid and more competitive. It feels weird to change that completely. Yeah, I can't see I can't see it changing completely, especially with its effectiveness against, let's say, some of the bigger teams that we've faced. Uh, you know, the five at the back has led to us being significantly stronger in defence, and this is something we haven't had in many seasons. Being able to build from the back is something that's called cool to Parker's system. So I, I don't think I see that going anywhere because it has been successful. But when you do look at the conundrum of what's happening up front, um, and how we actually create more chances, it all of our chances seem to come off when we have a main focal point and someone buzzing around them, as you say, because it gives them an extra thing to think about. Now, my um, hesitation on that is that I, I still don't think that Ruben Loftus-Cheek is that person to be buzzing around a striker up top. We've we've tried playing him in so many different roles. Out on the right, yesterday he was even slightly off, off to the left. We've seen him try and play him in kind of a false nine role, and that's not worked out. 
maybe you know this is the last what kind of roll of the dice we play alongside a Mitrovic but I think we're doing a lot of work on effectively something that is someone else's player and I agree with Joe's point that by the time that we've actually seen this improvement he he might not even be our player at that point in time I'd rather see that role given to someone like um, a Bobby Deckard over Reed or a Tom Kearney um, because they are probably our long-term players that we can rely on um, in years to come as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there's a couple of different elements to this. Uh, Marco, James Lawrence says, are people overreacting about the Mitrovic situation? The man is our joint top goal contributor this season with three goals and three assists. Surely when we're struggling to put the ball in the back of the net, having a player who makes that happen is more important than running fast, which he's put in, you know, in quote marks. But I imagine it means that kind of Parker press that we've seen uh, a little bit more there. Yeah, fair point. But I, th- I think away from home, especially, he, he can be a bit of a liability at times. Like even against the, the lower... T- like, he, he does a great job. His best game this season, I think, it was probably West Brom at home. So, championship-level game um, where, you know, we we you know, played really well, but against a poor team. Away from home, Mitra up front, uh, I just think there's not enough... Not enough movement there. He is very sluggish um, and needs to get about a bit more. And that that does extend to like winning headers and, and things like that. He hasn't looked especially fit. Um, like fair enough, he he did. I think he he tried and did his best yesterday. Um, but there were just elements of his game that were really lacking. Um, he miscontrolled it quite a few times. Um, he had one just stupid shot which he blasted over the crossbar. Could have just taken a touch and, and controlled it a bit more. Um, I think there was one, probably his best moment of the game, apart from you know the assist, um, was where Cavallero found himself clean through, probably thought he was offside, but he was clean through on goal with a ball over the top um, and then took an absolute age to sort his feet out and then ended up passing it to Mitro, who had a decent shot cleared off the line. And that sort of summed up how indecisive we were going forward. Um and yeah, Mitrovic, I'm not sure I'd, I'd play him. I think we do need a new striker um, and against a team like Chelsea, um, although I think it's a good good time to play them uh, despite their result against Morecambe. Uh, I just think we need a little bit more mobility up there. Chelsea be buzzing after that result against Morecambe, you know, playing teams at their level. Um, Rick Cardis, Joe, says, how bad is Mitro's hamstring? Has he been carrying this all season? Obviously, we don't know the answer to this question in, in terms of actual how, how healthy he is. But he says these t- sort of injuries take time to heal. And we've been looking at Mitro having hamstring, hamstring issues, I think, for, for a fair while. And it goes back, you know, pre-playoff final. Uh, and looking at all those kind of elements to, to this. And then when you think about it and you see him, you know, pulling up a little bit yesterday, it does make you wonder if there's more to this than perhaps meets the eye in terms of fitness. Yeah, definitely. Even the first game of the season against Arsenal, when he came on, he looked a yard slower. You could tell that something wasn't quite right. And I just thought he was still nursing the injury. Obviously, it wasn't too far after the playoffs where um, he missed the, the games against Cardiff. Um and I do, I, do, I do wonder whether something has happened that's more long-term and we don't know about it or whether um, we know that recently there's been some stuff happening in terms of struggling with with with, with discipline um, in terms of the um, coronavirus breach. And I wonder whether um, it is just, he, he is just not trying as hard because I've seen arguments saying that his body language seems off. Personally, I don't think that is the case. I yeah, think he's either. still struggling with some sort of an injury. Um 
But it's very interesting to see. And I do think that getting a striker in is so crucial, not only to keep us up, but also because I think it will push him. Um, at the moment, um, we've got Bobby Reid that can play there. But even if he's not getting in the team, he doesn't have anyone that's on his toes that's going to suddenly score 10, 20 goals and keep us up. I don't think he feels the pressure. He knows that he's still our number nine and he's still going to start more often than not for us. I just, I just think he needs a little bit of a a little bit of a wake-up call, to be honest, because I think that he's he's been spurning a lot of chances when he's got them. Um, and obviously, he's had a few issues yesterday um, in terms of body language that people picked up on. And I just I just feel like he needs that goal to sort of say, I'm back and to give everyone a lift because he is the, our most likely source of goals this season. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've got a question here, AF, from from Matt Bragg, which is a good question. I'm sad I don't have George Singer on to to discuss it because there's a lot of there's a lot of statistics going on here. But I'm going to throw it to you in, instead. And he says, in the Premier League this season, Niskas Cabano has 0.22 non penalty goals per ninety, uh, third most in the squad, and we're ahead of Cav, who's played as a centre forward. Right? He said last season he was second in goals for ninety with 0.46, and Cav was just 0.18. He's like. Obviously, it's a smaller sample size because we've seen very little of, of Niskan's Cabano in terms of minutes. But he has provided when he's come on. Is it time for him to get a shot? I mean, I'm, I am surprised that he hasn't got more of a shot. He hasn't even been on the bench most of these games. So to even be, be able to bring on as an impact player, we have proof in some of the stats that, as, as they show, he can make an impact. But it's also looking at where he made an impact. So in those games, effectively, he came, he made an impact in the QPR game. We were 1-0 up and he scored another goal to add to that one. I still think that if you were to bring him on against Premier League opposition, I don't think he's going to have a huge impact on those games. Um, he's not been bad when he's come on. But uh, yeah, he, he deserves more of a shot at... Uh, He's definitely not going to output any of the the stats that were kind of mentioned there, especially if he's played over even like 30 minutes. But I do think that he's a good player to have on the bench to make an impact because he's one of those players that consistently drives forwards. I, I don't see him pass back too often. He is driving at the defence. And more often than not, he actually has a shot, which, as we saw with the Cavalero chance, is much needed. Yeah, we just it's just nice to, to have a go sometimes, isn't it? Marco, what are your thoughts on these Cabano? Uh, well, I like him, his personality. He, he's always smiling um, and obviously scored those free kicks uh, last season that, that defined the, the end of the season for us. Um, I'd agree, though, play him against Premier League quality. I think he, he would go missing. I think he goes went missing in a lot of championship games, those that he played. Um, so he's a bit of hit and miss player. Um, and if I'm really brutal, I think his goal was a little bit lucky yesterday. Like, no, I'm not having that. Or, not having it. He's <laughs> Unbelievable strike. Hunted it, and it ended up going in. Uh, but I mean, yeah, if you're talking about bringing on impact sub, then why not throw him on? I'd certainly throw him on over AK47, who seems to get sent off or give away a penalty. So, um, yeah, Cabano. What was funny about Cabana actually was when we were in championship with um, Yukanovic and you were sort of going Cabano against Ayite. I'd always say Ayite was the more effective player, and uh, and if you're going to get rid of one or the t- one or the other, I would have got rid of Cabana. But he's sort of come good and uh, obviously developed into a much better player than than I initially thought. Um, so good to have in the squad, but I, I wouldn't be starting him. Yeah, there was no uh, 
Abubakar Kamara on the bench yesterday, Joe, and that, that was a bit of a strange one. I thought this would be maybe an opportunity for him, but it's potentially illness-related um, in that regard because you'd have thought that that was a game where you, you might have seen some minutes for someone who hasn't played very much. Yeah, definitely. And if you looked at the bench, it was filled with a lot of defensive players and then a couple of youngsters. And I was quite disappointed to not see either of um uh, the youngsters come on because I thought it would be a good opportunity, but obviously with the way the game panned out, it was sort of quite a lot, well, not a lot at stake in terms of, like, I, don't, I don't think we're going to go and win the cup um, because I think our priority is the league. Obviously, we would easily win it if we actually devoted any time towards it. But um, I feel that um, on another day, we could have seen the youngsters come on and Kamara, I feel like if he was fit and available, he'd have been on the bench because... Or um, I, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I, I, I don't think there would have been a need to start Cavalero, for example. Um, he's been playing a lot, or even, or even you could argue Loftus Cheek, although he can't play against Chelsea. Um, so I think that if Kamara was available, he would have played. Um, and he played a lot for us in the cups, cup games earlier in the season. I remember um, against um, Sheffield Wednesday, I think it was, and uh, home. I think he scored a goal. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird one. The, the bench was very defensive, but I think that it's it's very strange as well because I was looking at the bench and trying to work out who was missing after we had a few cases, and I just don't know because you could see that some of our first teamers weren't there. But equally, are they just being rested? Um, and I think that the game against Chelsea is going to be really interesting to see who is back. Yeah, for sure. Right. Well, I mean, we'll come on to that game against Chelsea in just a second, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with Marco Di Novellis, Joe Sansom, AF and myself, Jack Collins. And we're going to look ahead at this Chelsea game. AF, I mean, look, it, it seems a bit mad trying to predict exactly who will start at this point. But if you had, you know, the, the keys to the castle right now and you happen to have a, a reasonably full squad, you know, all things permitting, what would you be doing on Friday night? So I'd be looking at uh, defensive stability and I'd be thinking, I don't want to make too many changes uh, to what has been a well-working formula. Um, I think that Aina did such a good job against QPR and he's shown to be a very strong uh, utility player for us. I wouldn't be dropping him out necessarily to try and include Congolo as part of the back three, um, but I would actually put um, probably Kenny Tete in at right wing back um, instead of Bobby Deckard over Reed allowing him to push forward. I would be dropping out Cavallero to be playing Mitrovic up front. Um, and in terms of the middle of the park, you know, we, we all know that you can't drop Angisa if illness isn't preventing that from happening. So I'd be having Angisa uh, alongside probably Lamina and maybe even a space for Tom Kearney in there. Okie dokie. Um, Marco, I mean, the, I think the big question is perhaps that right-hand side. Do you give Kenny Tete the right wing-back role or do you leave Bobby Reid doing what he's been doing best this season? Yeah, no, I agree with Adam. I'd, I'd uh, put Tete in there. His crossing is is always going to be a threat. Um, and then Bobby Reid, you know, c- can he be as explosive as he has been uh, a bit further up the field? And, and hopefully, I mean, he's, he's our most informed player best goal scorer. I'm, I am going to have to take issue with uh, suggesting Kearney should go back in the team. Um, I'm not sure where or why, uh, based on his performances. I know I'm going to get a lot of stick for that. Um, and, you know, Kearney, I th- I'm, I still struggle to think Kearney is a consistent, high-quality Premier League player. 
Um, best performance for us, again, was that West Brom game, which I would class as a championship-level fixture. He's obviously, you know, got a lot of time for Kearney. He's uh, done a lot of good for the club and uh, has been fantastic in the championship for us. Uh, but Premier League, I think he, he struggles a bit. And certainly away from home at Chelsea, I don't think it would be the time to to throw him in there. But apart from that, I, I agree with Adam's team. I'd have Lamina in there with Anguissa in the middle. And yeah. uh, and then I'd, I'd have Cav up front, um, run, run around for a bit. Be a bit of a nuisance, I think. You know, for all his his faults in terms of finishing, he he has done fairly well. Um, and then maybe bring Mitra on for the last twenty. Yeah, I'm I'm with you in that. I wouldn't start Mitrovic. I think he has a role to play in this game. Um, I wouldn't start him though. I would try and get behind that Chelsea back four, uh, especially with Thiago Silva playing. You know, we've seen that he he's been excellent this season for Chelsea for for the most part, but we have seen that he is vaguely susceptible to to a counter in behind. I'd be interested to see. I'd potentially put Kenny Tete out a right wing back and potentially see how how well uh, a front three of Lookman, Cavalero, and Bobby Reed did together. Um, I mean, there's plenty of pace in it. There's plenty of trickery. It's the question of whether you'd you'd be giving up a little bit of aerial ability because, you know, obviously Loftus-Cheek can't play, but in replacing him with someone who's a lot smaller, you do lose that kind of edge in the air. Joe, what would you go? I, I think I agree, and especially because um, with the way we played against Liverpool, and I think that Chelsea will be quite similar in a team that are going to come, they're probably going to dominate the ball as much as they can um, and try and attack us rather than sit back. I think it's quite important to have a quick front three to start with. Um, so that would involve starting Cavalero. And I agree with moving Reed up if we're starting Tete, which I would if I was in charge. Um, I would bring Mitrovic on for sure. Um, especially considering that if we're starting Tete, because they linked up so well earlier on in the season. We didn't quite see that yesterday, which is a bit disappointing, but I think that we will. Um, Tete's probably got the best cross on him at the club from what we've seen so far it's quite a small sample size but it's a pretty good sample size um and I think that I'd bring Mitrovic on but bring him on a lot earlier than we did against um Southampton or Brighton for example I think he needs time to be working with more than just scraps um and I think that we can cause Chelsea a lot of problems in this game I mean I know they beat Morecambe today and Vern has finally found his level um but I think that we can I think that we can really cause him some problems yeah, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, look, this is an opportunity. And, you know, I've been speaking to people AF this week who, who say that Frank Lampard's job isn't necessarily in danger. But you'd imagine a couple of losses, especially one to your, to your local rivals uh, down the road at home who are, who are struggling in the relegation spaces would probably not do a great deal for his job security. And with the amount of pain that Frank Lampard has caused me down the years um, at the cottage, at, at Sanford Bridge, pretty much everywhere, really, it would would be nice to get one back over him in that regard yeah there's there's loads of people losing their jobs at this point in time there's loads of people i feel sorry for at this point in time but frank lampard is not one of those people um he has caused me undoubtable amounts of pain shushing the hammersmith end and it's just it's just not fair so when it gets to this point in time where he is under pressure i actually think that's rightly so looking at last season you know how chelsea did it was a bit of a transitional phase for them but this season he spent a lot of money and he knows that the pressure's on him to do that so fulham have to really capitalize on that if He's feeling the pressure and he's putting that pressure onto his team. If we um, go at them fast, we might be able to actually get some joy there. And I would take no more joy in 2021 than Frank Lampard losing his job because of a Fulham loss. Well, a Fulham win. 
<laughs> a Fulham win would be great. I mean, Marco, it's it's been a long while. I mean, we've we've not won at the bridge in in modern in modern football pantheon, right? It's it's one of those things that's always eluded us, and it would be quite Fulhamish to go and do it at the time where there's no fans there. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just still thinking back to that uh, Chris Coleman one 0 win and fans on the pitch. Remember watching from uh, then the, the Stevenage Road stand. Um, and, you know, one of the, the best memories I've got of the cottage uh, that day. And uh, to do it again would be great, but without fans, it, it would, wouldn't would be the same. Uh, just just something about Lampard as well. I actually remember going to, to Chelsea away and it was, I think, before I could get into pubs. So I was uh, quite early, sort of 40, 40 minutes early, just sitting there with my programme. And Lampard had the temerity and the cheek to walk through the away stand onto the pitch. So I've got a sort of personal uh, vendetta against the man and, and hopefully uh, we can beat him. Yeah, I would, I would enjoy nothing more, nothing more. Um, and that's pretty much all we've got time for uh, today's episode. We'll be back, obviously, midweek with Peter Rutzler of The Athletic to talk through that game in a bit more detail and, and also get a Chelsea preview as well. But all that's left to do today, I think, AF, is to name this one, and it's on you. So I think we're going to go with Pat Heary's Bobby's Queen's Vaccine. Very good. Very, very good. It was uh, the tonic we needed after a turbulent, shall we say, 90 minutes of football. Bobby's lovely strike sending Fulham through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. We'll find out who we get on the draw on Monday night at 7pm. Uh, and all that's left for me to do today is to thank my guests. So thank you to Marco Di Novellis. A wonderful debut, Mar- Marco. Well done. Cheers, everyone. Uh, to Joe Sansom, thank you very much as ever. Thanks, Jack. And to Adam Fakarson, thank you, my friend. Cheers. Thanks so much. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. We will see you later in the week before another Derby fixture. You whites.